Evening, church. You may take a seat. It's so good to be back with you all um, since I came back from holiday. And um, no, I did not go overseas. I was just over in Brisbane, over east, um, visiting some families and friends. But it's, it's so good to be here with you today. And, and how, how awesome was the, was the band? Can, can we just give them a round of applause? And I really enjoyed the worship, guys. Um, so you, you guys may take your seat as well. Um, and I don't know about you, but the way that I'm observing things on the media and, and just at the shopping center, the world has gone crazy. Is that not true? Yeah. Like, and, but during this crazy times, out, come, out of it come some pretty funny memes. <laughs> and I just want to share some with you today, uh, just to lighten your mood, just, just to kick off um, my, my sermon. Here's one. Before the coronavirus, I used to cough to cover my fart. Now I fart to cover my cough. And here's another one that I saw today. Breaking news. Chuck Norris has been exposed to COVID-19. The virus is now in 14 days of quarantine. <laughs> but all jokes aside, um, here's another meme that's kind of hit close to home. And, and Brother Frame actually sent this to me. Uh, Sahan, you would have it up there. It says... When you tell them that the virus is coming, many panic and prepare. But when you preach that Jesus is coming, many don't care. Isn't that true? Uh, Just on another side note, uh, everyone's been so pedantic about hand hygiene. Uh, Wash your hands with soap, warm water, detol those fingers. Like, I'm all for it. I'm all right for it. I encourage it. Like, Oikos is like, yes, wash your hands, keep it clean. But I want to hear to remind you of something that's, that's worse than the virus, and that's sin. Everyone's reminding each other to wash our hands, but just imagine if the church, uh, brothers and sisters, remind of each other that there's only one who can wash sin away. And, and that's... Lord, that Savior, he's, he's coming back. He will come back. And in the midst of this pandemic, now is the time that as the people of God, we need to be acting like the children of God. Not to be living in a spirit of timidity and of fear, but of courage and of love. And, and, and like Phil, Brother Phil has shared, like, you know, if you have your neighbors that you know are sick, don't just shun them and treat them like lepers. You know, the Christians... In, in the early days, when the early church started, like, you know, when Christians pretty much got popular, how did they get popular? Because back in those days when plagues happened, when disease happened, do you know what the Christians did? They were there. They were there in the midst. They did not shy away. They did not like, oh, that's all. Oh, see you later. Like, they didn't just walk off. No, no. They were there in the midst of disease and they were serving. There is no better time than this to share the gospel, to engage with the gospel, to engage with the lost, to to engage with your neighbors, friends, and family, and to show them that we are disciples of Christ. Now there's no better time. And so if you have your Bibles with you, 
Um, the passage today that I will be expounding on is in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Now, this is the feeding of the 5,000, um, where Jesus multiplies some food. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, this is a Titan's um, toilet roll that I just took off her. But just imagine like, oh man, if Jesus could just multiply my toilet paper. Like, like it's like, oh, here's some for you. And it just keeps going and it doesn't end. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? Um, you know, it's so rare. To, like, I've been trying to find toilet paper. It's just all sold out. It's horrible at Woolies. Um, so, Church, are you, are you there? You can follow up on the screen. So, if you can travel back in time with me to a scene where you are walking amongst this crowd, a crowd of thousands, and you see pe- people sitting on the grass, and you see people burping, you see some lying on their side, Bellies bloated, crumbs on their shirts, fish bones on their side, and they're groaning. And you see other people, they're just straight out sleeping because they've all been hit in a food coma. What happened? Before we get into what happened, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, your word brings courage and and your Lord, your word bring life. Lord, may we experience your word tonight. May we live it. And Lord, may your son be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The feeding of the 5,000. Beside the death and resurrection of Jesus, this miracle is the only, the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. Meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Usually they touch on different things, but in all four gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four of them. Now this makes this event stand out a little bit. It puts the spotlight on it. It kind of gives you a good indicator. Hey, this story may be more than just Jesus feeding people. It is an indicator that there is much more to this, but we'll get to that. So looking, we'll be looking at Mark's account today. So if you're there, verse 30. It says, The apostles returned and they gathered around Jesus to give him a report for all they have done and all they have taught. So what happened? Let, let me give you the context. So what happened was a few verses before this in chapter 6, Jesus, he sends out his apostles, his disciples, two by two. So there's kind of like six of them, um, six teams, two by two. And this is what Jesus says. Take nothing on your journey except for a walking stick. Don't take any bread, no bag. Don't take a bag. Don't have money in your belt. And everyone at this is just looking at Judas. Travel light. Whenever you enter a town and if they don't welcome you, it's okay. Brush the dust off your feet and move on. And so what happens is disciples did exactly that. They go into these towns and they're performing miracles in Jesus' name and they're casting out demons and they're healing people. And then when we get to passage, uh, verse 30 in this passage, they came back. They came back from doing that. So now they're reunited with Jesus and pretty much why was there such a big crowd? It's because this crowd followed the disciples because the disciples have been ministering in Jesus' name. Like, where did you get your authority from? Like Jesus and Jesus' name, demons come out and, and kind of stuff. And so with these disciples performing miracles in the name of Jesus, of course, the crowd, curiosity gets the better of them. They're like, man, they keep talking about this Jesus. 
I want to check out this Jesus for myself. And so the crowd starts to follow these disciples and because they want to see who this Jesus is. And that's why such a huge multitude forms. And when they get back, they're reporting, hey, Jesus, we did all this. Like this demon, I fly kicked him and, and all, all stuff just kept, kept happening. And then Jesus says this, hey, hey guys, um, I know that you guys are pretty tired. You guys have been ministering a lot. Let's, let's go somewhere. Let's go to a place and just rest. And he gathers his disciples and they go hop onto a boat and they're, they're planning to go to some place to have some solitude, Jesus and just his, his boys. But what happens is the crowd, the moment they get on the boat, the crowd realize and then they're working out mathematically, oh, they're going towards this direction or maybe one of the disciples left his uh, location on Instagram. And so before they even got on the shore, these crowd of people, they've already there. They've, they've ran by foot onto the other side of the bank. And so when Jesus is about to go to shore, what is waiting for him is not solitude and rest with him and just his disciples. No, what was waiting for him is crowds and crowds of people. And at this, Jesus didn't go, oh man, come on, I just wanted some, like, some time alone. Because if that was me, if you guys all rocked up to my house after this service, I'd be like, no, go home. <laughs> Shouldn't be gathering so much, go home. But Jesus didn't, didn't do that. The Bible says when Jesus saw a large crowd, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And when we hear that, we're like, aww. And we're, and we're imagining blonde Jesus with his blue eyes, you know, cuddling this white little lamb, like, oh, that's so cute. But, but no, it wasn't cute. Because this phrase that he just said, it was not sweet. It was actually offensive. And here's why. Because back in the Old Testament, whenever it talks about shepherds, it's talking about the leadership of Israel. And when Jesus says, you know what, they are like sheep without a shepherd. What Jesus is pretty much saying, they have no leader. They have no good leader that's taking care of them. In Mark's gospel, if you look at it, chapter 6, you see that chapter 6 is layered and structured like a sandwich. Like you have Jesus sends out his disciples and then here they come back. But wedged in between is the beheading of John the Baptist. So why is the wedged in between the death of John the Baptist, between the sending out of the disciples and the coming back of this? Why, why is John the Baptist's death there? And I'll tell you why. What Mark is trying to portray to you is to show you two and to give you a contrast of two different type of leadership. So here we have one leader, one king whose name's Herod Antipas. Well, he wasn't really a king, but he was the kind of self-declare. And what happens is this king, he's, he's selfish. He's ruling over Galilee at the moment. History tells us what he did was he saw his brother's wife and he said to his brother's wife, hey girl, you get rid of him. You should come with me, girl. And, and what, that's what happened. And so the the, the brother's wife became his wife and then John the Baptist saw that and John the Baptist isn't scared of nobody and he just wants to preach the pr- truth faithfully and he says, yo man, that's not cool. That's adultery. 
And what happens is John the Baptist then gets put into jail for speaking out the truth. And what happens is we find that they're at a banquet. They're indulging in food and all his friends are there, his mates are there. And this girl does this, this sexy dance and he, out of his flex of glory and of power, he's, he goes, you know what, girl, I'll give you half my kingdom. Just, just name it if you want it. But then she says, you know what, I want John the Baptist dead. And at that moment, he goes, okay, off with John the Baptist's head. And John the Baptist dies. Meanwhile, on the fields, not in a palace, where people haven't even eaten yet, there's a different leader. There's a different king. And pretty much this fulfills the prophet of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34. Go home. Ezekiel 34, you go home and you can read that chapter for yourself. But pretty much this, what that chapter is saying is, God is saying, and he's rebuking his people, you leaders of Israel, you, you, you call yourself shepherds of Israel, but you, you take care of yourself. You don't even take care of the flock. You leaders of Israel have failed miserably. You, you scattered the sheep. You didn't even bother to look for the lost. You ruled them harshly and brutally. So you know what? I'm your God. I'm, I'm going to step in now. I'm going to be, I myself, I'm going to be the shepherd. I myself is going to go onto that rescue mission. I myself am going to seek the lost. And here we have Jesus who steps out into the scene and he says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. So what Jesus is saying, they have no good leadership. So now I, I, God, am going to step in. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to gather the scattered. I'm going to protect them. I'm not going to rule them harshly. I'm going to be their leader. I'm going to be the king. So that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. And pretty much, if you read John's account, which is the other gospel, John's account, by the end of the meal, by the end of the miracle, it, it tells you that the people understood this and they pretty much like, they try to make Jesus king by force and they're planning a coup d'etat. Did I say that right? Coup d'etat. Coup d'etat. <laughs> they're like, they want a revolution, like a dance band revolution or something and they wanted to overthrow the bad leader, the bad Roman kingdom. And Jesus is pretty much letting their, and their imagination is running wild at the moment because if they have Jesus as king, as their chief commander, imagine that. Oh, if we join Jesus and he's king and he just performed food out of nowhere, man, we do not have to ever worry about logistics anymore. We don't ever have to worry about, oh, if there's enough food for the troops. Oh, Jesus, he heals Oh, it's okay if I get my arm chopped off. I just, I just grow back another one. Sign me up. And, 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 they're, and they're all thinking and, and they're rallying up with each other. It's like, oh, when's the weapons training? But then Jesus, it says in the Gospel of John, he kind of withdraws because, yes, he is a king, but he's not that type of king. He's not the king that comes and kill, but he's the king that brings life. He's not the leader that takes advantage of the people. He's the type of leader that serves. He's the shepherd that won't put his sheep in harm's way. No, he's the type of shepherd that will take care of and protect his sheep. The leaders of Israel have ruled the people harshly and brutally, but Jesus' rule on them would be a reign of grace and of mercy. 
He's not going to arm his troops, his soldiers with steel and arrow and blades. No, he's going to arm his people with his truth, with his love and with his gospel. He's not the type of king that wants to destroy his enemies. He's the type, he's, he's the type of king. Well, he's the prince of peace. He wants to save them. So he's very different. That's why he withdraws at the end of it. And so Jesus, he sees his people and he says, they are without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them. And so after he's teaching them for a while now, verse 35, we get to verse 35. It's kind of getting late. The sun's coming down and his disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, this place we're at, it's whoop whoop. It's in the wilderness. There's nothing here. It's like Perth. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's nothing here. How about Jesus? If we send the people off on their way, they can find food for themselves because no one's eaten anything. They can go back into town, wherever they came from, and they can find food for themselves, which isn't a bad idea. It's, it's a good idea. But then Jesus says, look what Jesus says. He says, no, you feed them. No, no, you give them something to eat. And the emphasis here is you. Don't send them back. You do something about it. Now this is, if you really think about it, an unreasonable, unimaginable, this is a logistical nightmare. And someone says, but Jesus, that would take up eight, eight months of a man's wages. We, we, Jesus, we don't have this sort of money. Jesus, I've, I plugged in the numbers and according to Google, a year's average of an Australian salary worker is $82,000. Eight months of that one year is 54K. Peter, you're awfully quiet. Do you have 54K? No. <laughs> Judas, you've probably been hiding it somewhere. Judas, cough out the 54, 54K. Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, didn't you send us a few verse before telling us to not take money with us, not to even bring bread with us, and now you're telling us to give everyone bread and there's like who's everyone there's like 5,000 men that gets counted excluding the women and children so safely I can say there was more than 10,000 people Jesus you're telling me to feed 10,000 people and you told me to not have bread and not to carry money how am I going to do that have you ever felt like that when you feel that you obeyed Jesus for all this time and then the, and you're doing it well, but then the next task that he gives you just doesn't make sense. Have you been there? But what Jesus says is, don't tell me what you don't have. Go and check what you do have. Then come back to me. Don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. And then they come back because on other accounts, they kind of stole the little boy's lunch. <laughs> five loaves and two fish. And they say, Jesus, we, we only got five loaves and two fish. And I'm just thinking, and I am just had a little laugh in my head. Because out of 10,000 people, you only found five loaves and two fish? Seriously? Like no one else had food except for that little boy? And I'm like, man, I know human nature. Like people sneak food into the, the movies. Like I... I know I've sneaked a cider into my Pringle box and, <laughs> and I know people sneak food 
into class. I'm like, I'm seeing kids like nibble all the time in class. I'm like, what do you mean there's only five loaves and two fish? But the reality is there was only a boy that gave the disciples, which gave to Jesus, five loaves and two fish. Now, why does Jesus do that? And you realize as in your Christian walk, um, you realize that when you follow Jesus, he's telling you, hey, now that you're following me, that, that now that you call me Lord, you need to know who I am. And you need to know what I'm about, what, what my heart is about. My heart is about coming into the world and restoring it because the world is broken, the people is broken, and I want to restore them. But the only way they can be restored and healed is if they come to me. He's all about that. And now he goes to the Christians after you mature a little bit. He's, he says, now Christians, it's time for you to go and engage with the gospel. It's time for you to go tell people about me because they need me. That's your job. That's your mission. Go to, to where? Everywhere. To the whole world. And that's crazy. We call that the Great Commission. And sometimes when a command like that comes, a task that Jesus gives us that seems so big, so out of this world for us, sometimes we feel inadequate. And because sometimes of our inadequacies, sometimes we kind of downplay it. You know what? Going to preach the gospel to the world or, or even to my friends or to my class or to my work colleagues, that seems pretty scary. So we kind of downplay it and we start thinking, maybe I'll just start being nice. Maybe I'll just encourage them. It's like, yeah, you go, son. Or, or, and the sad thing is sometimes they don't even know you're a Christian. Let me ask you, the people in your immediate sphere of influence, do they know that you're a Christian? And let's say you say, yes, they know that I'm a Christian. But let me ask you this, this next question. If they know that you're a Christian, but do they know Christ? If they don't know Christ, what good does that do them? Because you as the Christian never actually took time to share Christ with them. Yes, they know you're a Christian, but they don't know Christ because you haven't introduced them. What good does that do your friends? What good does that do your loved ones? What good does that do your family? But sharing other things is easy. Man, we share food places. We Instagram food. Oh, this place is like highly recommended. We, we recommend movies. We share memes. Oh man, so many people share memes with me. Why is it easy, so easy for us to share those things? It's because we deem that those things are good. That's why we want to share it. It's like, oh, you're going to enjoy this. You're going to like this. That's why I'm going to share it. But when it comes to the things of God... And of Jesus, we struggle. Does that make sense to you? Why do you struggle? Is it because that he's not good enough for you to share? And sometimes as Christians, we can fall into the temptation of saying, you know what, that task at hand, that's too big. Let the pastor do it. Let Dexter do it. Let some missionaries do it. Let some leaders do it. Who am I? And your excuse could be varied from, I'm, I'm scared. I'm an introvert. I have no friends. I'm too young. I'm too old. It's the coronavirus season. No one wants to see each other. 
I don't know the Bible well enough. What if my intellectual friends ask hard questions? I don't know how to answer them. I'm not smart enough. And here's the most common one. I'm too busy. I don't think that this little light of mine is going to be enough. And I tell you what, church, and I stand before you, and I'm telling you, as a pastor, I do not feel immune to this feeling of inadequacy. Who am I? I grew up as a C-minus kid, and my grandma is horrendous. I mix my verbs and my vowels and my nouns everywhere. Like, I'm a rapper, but a mumble rapper. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the smartest pastor that you can have. I don't have all the strategic plan to, to save all of Perth and all of this world. I, I'm not even the best speaker or preacher. I stutter. You, you see that. I stutter with my words and I say words wrong and I butcher words. I feel inadequate. I feel inadequate to lead you, Oikos Church, to the next stage. I really do. And, and I've been beating myself up over it. I've been tracking our years of growth. And you know what? We, we have dwindled in numbers. We're suffering financially. And, and things keep popping up here and there. And, and I feel inadequate to lead you. But this passage came to my rescue because God's recently been telling me, and I know he also wants to tell you, this is what he's saying to me, and I want to share it with you, because I'm pretty sure this is for you as well. Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go and count what you have. And once you've done that, you come back to me and you leave it in my hands. And see what I make of this. Go back and see what you have. Find what you have and come back to me. Put it in my hands. And I've done that. I've, out of my pocket, one, two, I, God, I only got five loaves of bread. I only got five. Um, and, and maybe you feel that way. If, if you're in a leadership position, maybe you're in charge of TNT or maybe you're in charge of Lighthouse or what's the new group? Collective and... Maybe you're in charge of one of the oikoses at, uh, for, for the adults. Man, I, Jesus, I only got five lives. I, I don't know how to take care of my people. I don't know how to run the programs. And, and you may feel inadequate as well. Look back of what, how faithful God has been to you. Uh, I, I look back in my years of ministry. Um, I started... At 21, I was uh, a pastor, and, and I'm like, man, I started so young, and I look back, and I'm like, man, I, I did a lot of stupid things, but I remember I was leading a Vietnamese youth group, a little Vietnamese kind of church, and I remember there was only 15 of us, and we only had four leaders, and we came together, and we're like, all right, this thing looks so dead. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it looks dead, but then... Us four leaders, there was only four leaders and the rest were just kids. We just came together and we prayed. And I remember we just prayed, Lord, there's only four of us. We only got this much funds. But this is all we have. Can you do something with it? And I remember we 
came together and we prayed week in, week out. And by the end of the year, God took us from 15 to 80. That's what God can do when whatever little that you have, you give it to God. Maybe you're here and you're a student and you don't even earn that much and you only get some pocket money. And you, you heard the things about AOC, about you know, helping other poorer students in Indonesia. I'm only a student, I only have this much. Hey, if you'd be a part of that and, and you put that little funds in Jesus' hands, you don't know what it can be achieved out of it. Maybe you're here and you just got promoted or you just had uh, a kid, you just became a parent or you just got married or you just started dating and you feel like, oh man, I'm running out of time. I don't have much time. Hey, give Jesus what little time you have and put it in his hands and see what he can make out of that. And so during the worship time, do you know what I was doing? I was just presenting Oikos Church. God, Oikos Church is young and it's small. Lord, I'm going to put it in your hands. It's not my show. It's not Dexter's show. Lord, you have to take this church to the next level. Because I don't think me or anyone else can take it to the next level. And so church, I encourage you now, if we just all give what little we have into the hands of Christ and let's see what God can do in a year's time. I don't know if you guys uh, watched the show. It was an 80s show. It's called uh, Captain Planet. Anybody watch Captain Planet? Well, let me tell you what Captain Planet was about. And I see like the young kids are like, what the heck are you talking about? We heard of Captain America, but not Planet. Captain Planet was awesome. All right, so what happened was in the show, there was five kids with rings. And, they go, and it's like earth, fire, water, wind, and, and heart. <laughs> out, of all, out of all elements, it's Heart, it just doesn't make sense. It just, anyways, what happens is these kids with rings, they, they have power rings on these elements, but these kids, three fourths of the show, they're always running into trouble. They're running into some pollution or some thugs. And, and what happens is they try really hard to solve it alone with, with their own little measly ring power, but they can't solve it. But they try really hard. But then towards the end of the show, what happens is. Uh, the African guy says, uh, let our powers combine. And, and they say, you know, earth, fire, wind, water, and gets me all the time hot. <laughs> and what happens is you hear this voice, by your powers combined, I am Captain Planet. And then he just morphs out and the planeteers goes, go planet. And what happens is you see this blue guy with undies and he's having a mullet as a haircut and I'm like man he's awesome and he saves the day he's the solution to their problem this whole time the show is not called kids with five rings no no the show's name is Captain Planet and when Captain Planet comes he's the solution so why am I telling you this maybe you're here and you're thinking Dexter I've what Jesus just asked me to do, it's, it's too big. I'm too small. Yeah, the t- of course, the task of spreading the gospel is huge. It's actually God-sized. And that's why you need Jesus. Because only he can fulfill it. But he doesn't want to do it alone. He wants to use 
you. He wants to use you as a vessel to go out on mission with him. So Oikos Church, let's live our life in mission. So as we come to a close, I'll ask the band to come up. What's interesting about this, um, this miracle is uh, when we, we hear about the feeding of 5,000, what sometimes we may imagine because of our Sunday school influence is, is oh, it's, it's like a massive picnic where everyone is sitting on green grass and Jesus and everyone is like, oh no, we forgot our food. And then Jesus stands in the middle and he kind of becomes like a magician. He keeps pulling like, you know, cloths out of his mouth or, or like Doraemon, he keeps pulling stuff out of his pouch or, or like a clown car where the clowns just keep coming. It's like, oh, where was that bread coming from? And everyone gets fed and everyone's happy and it's like a massive picnic. When we talk about the feeding of 5,000, people think picnic. But that's only the surface layer. Why is this miracle in all four Gospels? Why? Because this event actually foreshadows the death of Christ. It actually foreshadows what happens on the cross. Verse 41. Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish. He looks up into the heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks it and he distributes it. Now you might miss this in the English, but in the Greek, it's the same type of language that gets used later on in another meal. And that meal we know and come to know as the Last Supper, or now we know as Communion. Where Jesus, same language, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it and he distributes it. But this time he gives them the meaning, the symbol of why he's doing all that. He says, this is my body, which will be broken for you, that by my wounds, you will be healed. It's the same language. In the Gospel of John, we get a little bit clearer because Jesus, even himself, he declares, I am, ego emi, I'm God, I am the bread of life. Now, people thought it was physical, but yes, yeah, Jesus does care about your physical need. He does care about your grumbling stomachs. He does care about your financial situation or your, your lack of this or, your, or the coronavirus around you. He, he does care. He does care about your daily lives, but you know what he cares more of? Your soul. He cares. He also wants to satisfy your spiritual hunger. And what happens is, on the cross, as nails pierced into his hands and into his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, as his body was broken like bread. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and when he breaks it, he's, he's kind of declaring, I am a God made breakable. I am a God made vulnerable. When I am broken, only then will you have life. Only then will you be satisfied. The sin upon your heads, the wrath that was meant to be on you, the punishment, the consequences, the guilt and the shame, I'm going to take that. I'm going to be broken. 
so that you can commune with your God, so that you could commune with your Father. I am the bread of life. Jesus is our shepherd. He is our king. He was the bread that was broken to us, for us. So church, prepare your hearts as we now come to a time of Holy Communion and we reflect that how good he was to us.